There are so many things that have been vastly misunderstood and therefore concepts have been greatly misrepresented when it comes to the Christian faith. The misunderstood issue that perhaps stands out the most within Christian circles is the kingdom of God, or also referenced in scripture as the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. Today on Keeping It Real, it's part two of my interview with Frank Viola as he will continue to dissect common myths that have been so prevalent when the kingdom of God is referenced. Frank will also answer some pointed questions pertaining to his book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, as well as his Insurgents podcast. In case you missed part one of the invigorating and insightful interview with Frank on the prior episode, I highly recommend that you take an earnest listen to it. All of the content on both episodes is compiled as a full unit and therefore should be listened to in full in order to get the full impact. Finally, if there are questions or inquiries you have, please feel free to reach out with those at KIRradio.com. That's KIRradio.com. At that website, you can also subscribe to the Keeping It Real podcast, as well as subscribe to the weekly blog. Now let's get into part two with my interview with Frank Viola. Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real. It's the podcast that provides real answers for life's issues by proclaiming Jesus Christ for who he really is. Now, here's the host of Keeping It Real, Ollie G. All right, Frank, now we move on to kingdom myth number five, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this one. The mm -hmm. kingdom is separate from the ecclesia. Now, the ecclesia, of course, meaning that that's in the Greek meaning gathering or meeting. Um, the concept of the church, as you've written, not only in Insurgents, but in many of your other works as well, and it's plastered all over your blog articles, is that the meaning of church has been uh, greatly distorted uh, for centuries, really. And so can you explain this myth of how the kingdom is separate from the ecclesia? Yeah, this is the myth that refuses to die, uh, even though I have uh, eviscerated it in writing after writing and also in conference messages that are on my podcast. Um, I keep hearing people say it. I keep hearing even leaders repeat the myth. And the myth is the kingdom is separate from the ecclesia. No, it is not. You cannot sustain that idea from the New Testament. Now, ecclesia, uh, as you pointed out, uh, does not mean a church building. It doesn't mean a Sunday morning service. Doesn't mean a denomination. Doesn't mean an institutional organization that people call church. Ecclesia, the best word, uh, to translate it into English would be assembly. And it is the gathering of God's people uh, on a regular basis in a local area, all right? It's intensely local. Um, mm -hmm. So the ecclesia in Jerusalem, the ecclesia in Corinth, the ecclesia in Thessalonica, the ecclesia in Ephesus, etc. And when there are a group of ecclesias, being referred to, the New Testament uses ecclesias plural. So um, that's that's an important point to make because the word has gotten lost. Um, 
But very clear that Ecclesia, the local face-to-face community of God's people who were following Jesus of Nazareth and learning to live by his indwelling life together, was not, is not, separated from the kingdom of God. Uh, One of the points um, that I make in the book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, and I support this biblically, is that the kingdom of God is a part of it, at least, is the manifestation of God's ruling presence in the earth. Uh, And the manifestation of God's ruling presence is through his people together, the ecclesia. And this is why Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says, he made us to be a kingdom. <laughs> All right? right? That's clear, very clear. And you make that uh, argument elsewhere too, don't you, Frank, where people use this word church, and when they use the phrase, we are going to church, you diffuse that and refute that by saying you can't go to something you are, right? Right, right. Corporately. Correct. Yeah. It's it's um it's a misnomer to uh use the term church for a building or a service. The New Testament doesn't use it that way. Right. Um but then we have Revelation 5 verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom. There again, the ecclesia is referred to as a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And in the New Testament, the people of God are the kingdom of priests, which was prophesied in Exodus 19 and fulfilled in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in the book of Revelation. And so the ecclesia uh, are the people of God who are ruled by Christ. And that is one of the three aspects of the kingdom. As I've pointed out in the book Insurgents and in many messages, the kingdom of God includes three things. The king who rules, that's Jesus. He incarnates the kingdom. A people who are ruled, that's the ecclesia, and the king's actual rulership. Now, here's the thing um, that I hear people say. Um, they say things like, Jesus only mentioned the ecclesia a few times, but he mentioned the kingdom over a hundred times. Therefore, the kingdom is more important than the ecclesia. Well, we got to hit the brakes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to play the, the how many times did he use this word game, then we will argue, then we would have to argue that Paul Tarsus did not believe in discipleship nor disciples. Right. Because he never used the word disciple in the epistles, not once. Okay. Um, So you cannot look at the New Testament through that very simplistic sophomoric lens. What you have to realize is that when Jesus used the word kingdom, he was referring to very often the kingdom community, the ecclesia, what the ecclesia uh, is in Paul's letters and what it is in the book of Acts. And not only that, but whenever Jesus was talking to that little band of 12 men and five to eight women uh, who were following him very closely and faithfully, and he used the word you, Y-O-U, you will be the light in a dark 
world. Yeah. You very, are the very salt personal, of the earth. wasn't it, Frank? Yes. But when he used the word you, he was talking to the ecclesia. Yeah, right. Okay. So you can't just count how many times he actually used the word ecclesia to get his uh passion uh his his views on um and his priority on what the ecclesia was you have to count all the times he used the word you y-o-u and he was talking to that little band of followers uh, of his who are who who constituted the embryonic expression of the ecclesia it just had expanded on the day of pentecost but it was the same thing it was a group of people living in close-knit community who were enthroning Jesus Christ as head. They were doing that while he was on the earth, and then when he rose again from the dead, they were still doing it, only he was in the spirit. But that's the ecclesia, and so you cannot separate the ecclesia from the kingdom of God any more than you can separate the body from the head. The two are inexplicably and inseparably connected. We would say that they are umbilically umbilically connected uh referring to the umbilical cord right, right. um so you know this is this is a misnomer i wish i can say that putting out this podcast on your show and i'm going to replay it on my podcast is going to solve the problem but it's not because a most christians are never going to hear us talk about this Unfortunately, most Christians will never read the book Insurgents just because there are millions and millions of books put out constantly. And um, the ones that the ones that uh, pay the most ads get seen. And three, the third thing is um, even those who hear this, uh, there's a percentage of them that will forget and they will just go with the party line. Jesus used the kingdom 100 times. And but he only used Ecclesia twice, and therefore the kingdom is more important and it's something different. And that's just is not the case. Yeah. Well, not only will they forget, but probably I would suggest that if there are people that actually would pick up a copy of Insurgents and just begin reading it, they probably get to about page eight and then be tempted to throw the book across the room. <laughs> Because <laughs> just you know, it it just doesn't fit the 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 uh, traditional narrative that has been going on right. for so long. So, but right. I appreciate you making several uh, distinguishing uh, comments there on how you cannot separate the two; they're inseparable. And I appreciate the analogy of the umbilical cord. I think a lot of people can connect with that, uh, mm-hmm. whether if um, they uh, truly know Christ, or even if there are people that are listening to this and that are outside of Christ, that is something that they can definitely connect with. Um, Let's move on to kingdom myth number six, if we could. The kingdom of God, this is what this myth says, okay? The kingdom of God is within you, quote unquote, within you as an individual in that it's a privatized reality. Can you explain that one? Yeah, there's several problems with this myth, and I keep hearing people say it. It's based on um, certain translations of Luke 17, 21, and some of those translations uh, render um, that wording by Jesus as the kingdom of God is neither here nor there. The kingdom of God is within you, and that's the King James Version. 
And the problem with this is that that translation is a poor one. The better translations um, do not translate the word entos, that's the word there, into within. They translate it as in the midst of you. Now, this is important because when Jesus was talking in this dialogue, in this conversation, in this monologue, he was talking to Pharisees. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's important. You know, it's very critical. <laughs> yeah. Because not only is it clear that the Pharisees, if you read the Gospels uh, as a narrative, all of them, not only is it crystal clear that they were not uh, recipients of the kingdom of God within them, but Jesus told parables, and many of them are in the book of Matthew in the later chapters, that made the point that they were thrust out of the kingdom, that they didn't even enter into it. And so for him to say, hey, Pharisees, by the way, the kingdom of God is within you, uh, is nonsensical when you look at the rest of the gospel material. The better translation is in your midst. And not only is that a better translation of that word in this context, but the very fact that um, Jesus Christ incarnates the kingdom. And in the context of what he was saying there, he was simply saying, look, you're looking for the kingdom of God to come here and there. It doesn't come that way. The kingdom of God is right in the midst of you. I am the kingdom of God. You're looking at the kingdom of God right now. About it. And that's what that word uh, means. In effect, it, it's um, in the Greek, it is entos human, in the midst of you. Uh, other first-rate New Testament scholars interpret it to mean within your reach or within your grasp, which is the same thing as saying, hey, I'm right here. You could reach your hand out and touch me. I'm the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is standing right here in, the, in your midst. I'm within your reach. I am the incarnation of God's kingdom. And that is what Luke 17, verse 21 is saying that's what Jesus was uttering, according to the best New Testament and Greek scholars. Well, I tell you, well put, Frank, and it always amazes me how particularly the Pharisees, who were, of course, a very religious people, were in touch with him. They would listen to him. They would, they, they would hear what he would have to say with different things that they would put up on him and they just didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't want to get it. And well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and you uh, hit the nail on the head when you said they didn't want to get it because there is such a thing as being uh, intentionally deluded because you do not want to hear the truth. You can't handle it. And so you become dull of hearing to that, which is real and true and you intentionally misinterpret. So absolutely. Yeah. So we move on to now kingdom myth number seven, and this will be the last one. 
uh, in these uh, line of myths. And then I, I, if, I, if you got some time yet, I'd like to ask you yes. a, a few questions yet, because um, I know that that's typically the uh, the, the Q&As that you've done on insurgents, but going through these myths have been uh, just absolutely powerful and amazing to me. Here's the last one. And this one probably pertains mostly to our Pentecostal brethren, but I'm sure there's uh, it, it involves all um, uh, mm -hmm. people, uh, you know, every breath or stroke of within the Christian circles. And that is mm -hmm. the kingdom of God is the equivalent of signs, miracles, and wonders. Now, I can't wait to hear what you have to say on this one. Yeah, yeah. And and after I address this, I want to just circle back to that last myth and add a few points to it because um, there are some important um, truths that relate to this whole business of the kingdom of God is within you and how that has been a, a poor translation uh, but yes, this seventh myth, the kingdom of God is the equivalent of signs, miracles, and wonders. This has been a prevalent and popular view, uh, as you say, among the charismatic and Pentecostal world. And uh, I grew up in that world, so I know it very well. And I still speak in charismatic conferences. I was just um, last week. Uh, speaking at a Pentecostal charismatic uh, church and conference, and it was it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I'm someone who believes in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the miraculous. I believe God still does miracles and signs and wonders. But the overemphasis um, that some in the charismatic world have put on it it renders the um, whole scripture imbalanced um, and and one's relationship to the Lord to be imbalanced, where many of God's people seek his hand rather than his face. And there's a big difference between the two. But uh, as one who believes in all of the uh, uh, spiritual gifts that the New Testament um, envisions and uh, demonstrates, I believe in the spiritual gifts uh, without the charismatic wrappings and Pentecostal packaging. And so what that means is you could still have a miraculous work of God or a supernatural work of God, but it's it comes in uh, more of a natural uh, wrapping, one that is, you know, doesn't have a lot of artificial, surroundings and um, attachments. And I talk about this in the book, Revise Us Again. But when Jesus was on the earth, he was the full and complete embodiment of the kingdom of God. And that's why healings, miracles, signs, and wonders were frequent in his ministry, because the future kingdom had arrived in its fullness in Christ, in its fullness, okay? But today, after he has ascended, we live in the spiritual tension where the kingdom is already, but not yet. Mm -hmm. It's not here in its fullness. Now, it was here in, it, in its fullness in the person of Jesus. But now that he has ascended and we're waiting for him to return, the kingdom is here. It's today, but it's also tomorrow. <laughs> and it's also future. 
And so that's why Paul says things like in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in part, we know in part. And so consequently, the miraculous certainly does take place. All right. But it takes place in part. It is not here in its fullness. And this explains why sometimes there are healings and other times there are not, because we're still in that not yet transition. Right. Um, you know, we're, the all, we're in the already, but the not yet has, has yet to come. And the other thing is the signs and wonders of Jesus often pointed to something much bigger. For example, a healed ear pointed beyond the healing to spiritual healing. An opened eye pointed beyond um, the physical eye opening up and seeing to spiritual seeing. They they had a significance beyond the miracle. Exactly. And, Wasn't that the reason why even Jesus told people at times, now don't tell anybody about this because my time has not yet come. Does that work parallel to what you're saying there? Yeah, yeah. And that also shows you that it was not a big emphasis, even though Jesus did many miracles. He did not have a parade, you know, following it. He he did not, uh, you know, uh, do fireworks uh, to point attention to it. Um, and and Paul was the same way. Paul did not talk an awful lot about the miraculous. He did some, but uh, not as much as some some do today. Um, and there are seasons when God invades the earth with the miraculous power of his kingdom. And during those seasons, masses of people are saved, masses are healed, masses are delivered. But then that season passes and those things still happen, but not as frequent. And, and if a person doesn't understand this, Ollie, especially if they're a Christian leader, um, they will try to turn the crank and conjure it up and even exaggerate certain things, um, blowing up numbers, saying that people were healed when they weren't, um, and then taking uh, healings that are, let's just say they're small in comparison to the healings of Jesus, um, not to say that they are not good. Thank God when somebody's back is aching and someone prays for them and the back is healed. Thank God that someone uh, who has a headache can be prayed for and the headache is gone. But to put those kinds of healings on the level of the signs and the wonders that Jesus affected when he was on the earth, there's no comparison. Mm. You know, Jesus w healed people of cerebral, cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, that is extremely rare. And, and here's why I'm saying this, because I know people who major in signs and wonders, that's their ministry. And yet I've interviewed individuals who are in that ministry up at the highest levels. And when I ask them, tell me the greatest miracle you've ever seen, that the responses are pretty surprising in that they don't even come close to what Jesus was doing. And I, I'm making that point because if you're going to emphasize that your whole ministry is about signs and wonders, 
you would think there really are <laughs> signs there, and there wonders. Were, yeah, there would there would be of, a lot to tell. Yeah. Of the caliber, of the yeah. caliber and the right. magnitude. Else I wouldn't go around saying we're about signs and wonders. Let's all do signs and wonders. And and see, I don't want people to misunderstand. I believe in signs and wonders. But if you're going to major in that, then brother, sister, uh, you ought to have some astounding testimonials that go beyond, you know, someone's leg growing out an inch or somebody's back pain being relieved or someone having a headache and it being gone. Um, let's let's see people who have blind eyes seeing people who have been deaf, deaf from birth, hearing. Uh, people who have the palsy, all right, um, not they were in a car accident and and they have to be in a in a wheelchair for a week. <laughs> I'm talking about the these kinds of dramatic, profound sicknesses and illnesses and dysfunctions being healed of those things. If if you're going to say my ministry is about signs and wonders, that's my point. And there have been only a few. All right. I'm not going to name names. There's there have only been a few in church history who had that kind of a exhibition of signs and wonders. But what's going on today from the people who claim signs and wonders, it's not the same. It's not what we see in the ministry of Jesus. My point is, even though signs and wonders and miracles are real and they do happen, that is not the equivalent of the kingdom of God. And I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again. The greatest teaching that Jesus gave on the kingdom of God, and most every Bible commentator and scholar will agree, it is the charter of the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's what's been traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. There's not one word about signs and wonders in that passage. Not a word. Except at the end, when he says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, look at all the signs and wonders and miracles we did. And he will turn around and say, I never knew you. Yeah, that's one of the most devastating uh, statements of Christ in the scriptures. Absolutely. It'll chill your blood, especially if you're, you are somebody who majors in signs and wonders because there's a message there. Mm -hmm. And that is to God, character is more important, far more important than gifts. All right. That your the way you live your life before God trumps by far any external signs, wonders, displays of miracles or spiritual gifts that you may have in your life and or ministry. And um, so I, you know, this is important stuff. So yeah, you cannot equate the kingdom to signs and wonders any more than you can equate the kingdom <clears throat> to making the world a better place, uh, as we talked about before, <laughs> which is yeah. which is another myth. But I, I wanted to quickly come uh, come right around sure. and talk about this business of the kingdom of God is within you. Um, usually people will say that not knowing that it's a bad translation uh, of that text, but they will, they're arguing that the kingdom is an internal private thing. And the fact of the matter is it's not. The kingdom of God is a public social reality 
that shapes our entire life inside and out, private and social. And the um, <clears throat> there's, as I said before, you cannot separate the kingdom from the ecclesia, and the ecclesia is communal. It's corporate. It's shared life. So the idea of the kingdom is within me. It often is couched and comes with a viewpoint that it's all about me and Jesus and the kingdom's in me. And, you know, it's this private thing. And, and that's not the case. But here are some of the scholars that have uh, pointed out, and I have this in my book, Insurgents, that the term in uh, Luke 17:21 should be translated in the midst of you. And you have this uh, in the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, the RSV, the BSB, the BLB, the Net Bible, the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, and scholars such as George Eldon Ladd, Scott McKnight, Craig Keener, Ben Witherington, Daryl Bach, J.C. Ryle, C.H. <clears throat> Dodd, and uh, N.T. Wright. Uh, those latter two guys support the translation within your grasp, which carries the same idea of being in the midst of you. So, um, you know, and that's just some of the scholars who argue uh, that the kingdom is in your midst is the better translation. And let me just read uh, this this thing that I wrote here. I believe it's in the book Insurgents, but it's also on my blog. The Pharisees were expecting the kingdom to come with apocalyptic signs. They were using natural perception. But Jesus was saying enigmatically that the kingdom was already in their midst. They just didn't discern it. Jesus was the kingdom embodied. Because the Pharisees weren't born from above, they couldn't see the kingdom, right. even though it was standing right in their midst. In short, Jesus was pointing to the presence of the kingdom in this text not its inwardness. The New Testament refers to people entering the kingdom, not the kingdom entering into people. How about it? All right. Well, uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, expanding or your uh, thorough and precise and pointed explanation of seven kingdom myths uh, as you laid out in your book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, as you also have highlighted in your podcast, the Insurgents podcast, and how you have done here on the Keeping It Real podcast. Uh, Frank, I got a couple of questions for you. This is, these are things that are just burning within me. Okay. And I think a lot of folks um, that, uh, you know, really looking to live for the Lord, looking to have a closer, deeper walk with him. First off, I want to make mention of or make reference to a chapter that you have in the book. Again, you have many, many, many chapters in the book, all very short. One of them's entitled A Fresh Look at Divine Love. Mm -hmm. And in that chapter, you emphasize how so many Christians uh, look to give tickets away to a place they've never been. I, I recently listened to your Christ, an episode of your Christ is All podcast, and I believe you recently used uh, the illustration of Paris, reading about Paris and watching videos about Paris versus actually having been to Paris. Mm, right. Talk about the importance of receiving an unveiling of Christ 
and what that means exactly. And how is that vital to awaken love in our own hearts for Jesus, the King? I think this is everything, Ollie. Uh, without having eyes to see the glories of Christ, the grandeur, the majesty, the beauty, the jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring, astonishing glories of the Lord Jesus, then we will follow him. We will submit to him out of guilt, condemnation, fear, duty, or religious obligation, rather than out of a soul-stirring love. Mm -hmm. And as John put it in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. Yep. The disciples of Jesus, the first followers, forsook everything because they beheld his glory. Paul prays in Ephesians that the churches would have eyes to see. The eyes of their hearts would be opened to mm. see Christ and the hope of uh, our inheritance in him. And so it takes a person... Um, who preach and teach uh, the Lord Jesus Christ to have that unveiling within themselves, to be able to share him in that soul-staggering way, in that epic, mind-blowing, heart-capturing way. And I talk about this in a book entitled 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Hmm. I get real practical um, on why it's so important to unveil Christ to others, but you have to have that unveiling first. Before Which you incidentally, I want to mention to the listening audience that if they want to hear your interview on this podcast of 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, mm -hmm. you were on uh, for two episodes uh, discussing many of the laws of 48 Laws of Spiritual Power and the, the overall approach to God's power and how we can attain God's power absolutely powerful interview if folks listening to this episode of the podcast have not listened to that yet i encourage folks to go back and listen to that because it is much food for the soul but i didn't want to steal your thunder <laughs> i yeah, definitely no. wanted to put that in there because if people haven't tuned into that yet there's a whole bunch of other uh content that uh, the lord has ministered to frank and through frank uh, in those episodes. Yes. Amen. And we, we replayed that interview on the crisis all podcast as well. And the response has been wonderful because we covered a lot of unique ground, uh, related to the 48 laws of power, the 48 laws of spiritual power. That is <laughs> not the 48 laws of power. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think you, um, you ended that, uh, answer, perfectly because i have nothing to add to it uh that would be that would be my answer to the question uh so it's one of those things where you you give an answer and then for those who are interested and are saying hey i want to learn about that how do i unveil christ how do i have that revelation that unveiling in my own heart and that's what the book addresses hmm. all right i got uh, another question here this is a little bit of an expansion um, mm -hmm. of insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom because you have chapters 
at insurgentsbook.com. Again, that's insurgentsbook.com. That did not get included into the compilation of the book. And I'm assuming it's got to do with word count. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm thinking that might be the reason why. And one chapter is called Aware of His Presence. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I got to tell you, Frank, that chapter I have read, I don't know how many times because it, I just connected with it in such an incredible way. It shook mm -hmm. me to the core on the inside. Mm. Aware of his presence, presence is what it's called. And my question to you is, is how is that chapter so valuable as it relates mm. to the kingdom of God? Yeah, that's a great question. And you are correct. There are supplemental chapters on the Insurgents book uh, website because of word count. We could not fit them in. Some of the chapters on that site, I think, are fantastic. Uh, for example, there's one on rethinking water baptism. That's probably one of the most important things I've ever written. Uh, there are several that go into all the scriptures on the kingdom of God that are in the New Testament. Uh, we also have the Insurgents podcast, where I have partners, and we discuss every reference mentioned Um in the New Testament on the kingdom. Um, but there's also these other practical chapters like aware of his presence. And I'm so glad you found it valuable. That encourages me. But the answer to the question is the life of God that indwells us by the Holy Spirit is the life of the kingdom of God. It's actually the life of the future kingdom brought here in the present by the Holy Spirit. And so it's as if the, the age to come, which is when the kingdom will come in its fullness, has been transported <clears throat> to the believer right here, right now, by the Holy Spirit. And that's why uh, the book of Hebrews has this statement, we have tasted of the powers of the age to come because the life of God in us is the life of the kingdom. And so to live in the presence of the Lord, to be aware of his presence, is to live in his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And not only did I talk about it very practically in that article, aware of his presence, and if you're listening to this and you're interested in it, all you have to do is get the book Insurgents, because it's a supplement to that book. It actually goes into the book. It actually was supposed to go into the book, but we couldn't fit it. But you'll see there's a website in the book itself that tells you where the supplemental chapters are, and it's there. But the other thing is, we're recording this in November, and today is the 16th, which is a Thursday. Well, on Tuesday, <clears throat> on Tuesday, in the Christ is All podcast, November... I guess that would have been the 14th. We released a conference message that I just delivered last weekend called Living in the Conscious Presence of God. And the message is about 52 minutes. And what I do there, Ali, is I go beyond what I shared in the article, Aware of His Presence. And I give four practical realities 
that any believer can put into practice uh, immediately to live in the conscious presence of the Lord. And so those two things go together, aware of his presence, the article, and living in the conscious presence of God, the conference message that just dropped in. Anybody can go to the Christ is All podcast uh, and they'll see it. Yeah, and I have a copy of uh, Aware of His Presence right here, and I just love the way how you started off. A quote from C.S. Lewis that says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at (laughs) earth and you will get neither. Yeah, right. (laughs) That right right from the jump blew my socks off. And Mm. then you go into how to cultivate this promise of his abiding presence, how we behold him, how we walk with him. And you got very practical ways on how to do that from like how many times you turn your gas cap after you're done getting gas in your car. If it's seven times, you know, that's the number of the Lord's perfection or whatever. And it's like, you've got these real Mm. practical ways on how to be tuned into God and be aware of his presence. So encouraging and so impactful that I just can't help but to urge people uh, to go to insurgentsbook.com and check that out. Um, mm. uh, one more quick question, and you can answer this very pointedly because I know we're running short on time. Yes. But you state in the book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, that sin in the world are not the same. Sin damages in the world possesses. Uh, Frank, uh, brothers and sisters that I talk to very often uh, refer to or make mention of how they struggle with different things in life, including, I mean, I I can certainly testify to this in my own life. Yes. Amen. The the world just bombards us with stuff. Yes. Yes. You unravel in insurgents so much um, how we are not to... Um, adore or to get into idol worship on the political system, uh, mm-hmm. the entertainment system, even the religious system. But those systems come for us in one way mm-hmm. or another. Yes. How can one truly live out as an insurgent or living out unto the kingdom of God when continually getting bombarded by corrupt elements within these worldly systems? Yeah, and the long answer to that, because that's an involved question, the question is how, right? Right. So the the long answer is I have a prescription in the book on how exactly to pull out of the world system. And that's that's what the world is. It's really a system and systems within the system. But in the book, I talk about the origin of the world system, the creation of the world system, the three elements in the world system – and how, as you say, they they bombard us on every corner um, and every quarter <laughs> because they're in the warp and woof of, of this earth, living on this earth. But there are uh, strategies uh, that we can employ, some of which the scripture gives to us. Um, and there is an awareness that is necessary um, to have. There is a vigilance that is necessary for some people. It will mean eliminating 
um, certain things in their uh, visual uh, and mental diet. That's right. Um, and so, you know, it, it's the, the book is practical. That's that's where I would just encourage your listeners to get that book, start either reading it or listening to it, and then apply the taking action sections, because that's really where you're going to get the benefit. Um, you know, in the rest of the book, you have the vision, you have the biblical teaching, the theology, if you want to say it that way. But then when the, you get to the taking action section, that's when you put it um, to practice, put it into practice and you walk it out in shoe leather. So yeah, that that's the thing. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, no temptation is not uncommon to any of us, as Paul said. And Peter pointed out in his letter that the struggles we have are shared by all of the brothers and sisters. We just may have different ones. But if we have some uh, wisdom, and that's what I try to do in the book, uh, we can really overcome the world, as Jesus said we would do. And, um, and, and it's by his life and by his grace, but there's a part we play as well. So that's, that's how I would answer that one. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Frank. I want to give you just a real quick opportunity just to tell us a little bit more about your insurgents podcast. I enjoy it so much. As I mentioned earlier, I've listened to all the episodes, mm. some of them more than once. Um, I love each of your conversation partners. Um, if, if I had one word of advice for your conversation yes. partner, Denzel, it would be that I think he's uh, he needs to calm down just a little bit. I mean, he's a little <laughs> particularly that message where uh, he gave like a live message to an audience and he was preaching. Um, he needs to be a, a, a little bit more energetic. What shall we say? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the sarcasm. Uh, I, good, and if people can't one. get the hint, I'm just a tad bit sarcastic. With yeah, you. just a little bit in um, a good the way. Man is just fa a fireball for Christ. Yeah, yeah, he sure is, and he's a great conversation partner. And I am planning on getting together with. Um, uh, one, perhaps two of the previous conversation partners, I won't say who they are, um, to do some more episodes. And our goal uh, is to treat and discuss every single reference to the kingdom of God in the New Testament in chronological order. And we have already um, completed all of the references in the book of Mark. And we are almost finished with all the references in Matthew, and then we're going to go on to Luke, and then we're going to go on, and then we're going to go on to John, and then we start looking at the Book of Acts and the epistles all the way until we get to Revelation. And so that podcast, you can find it on any podcast app or platform. The Insurgents Podcast um, will be a library of commentary that's not aimed at the frontal lobe, but aimed at the heart and the spirit on every reference to the kingdom. And it's it's going to be a wonderful supplement to the book, Insurgents, great. Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. That is so great, Frank. So glad to hear uh, that more episodes are coming out and on the way. Uh, thank you so much. It's been for real, for sure. <laughs> keeping right. a real podcast uh, with Frankie V. Um, this is podcast again. Uh, real answers for real issues. And you certainly provided uh, a lot of answers in proclaiming Christ 
in unveiling Christ with a lot of the, uh, as I call, where rub, where the rubber meets the road kind of issues uh, with mm-hmm. life. So thanks so much for being on again and um, looking forward to uh, hopefully your next uh, book coming out, hopefully next week, uh, so mm-hmm. that I can uh, get riveted once again. <laughs> Probably, I, mm-hmm. I know it won't be that quick, but um, I definitely, of course, look forward to uh, all of your uh, content material that comes out. It's just so refreshing for the soul. I look forward to having you on again, Lord willing, again sometime. Thank you, Ollie. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, brother.